you know, the card, the, uh, the series card that Clay held up earlier, do grab one of those. And one of the things it says in there is how there were many signs that Jesus gave to the world that, that he was going to send the Messiah. And, and, and people just, most people, not all, but most people just missed it. And one of those signs comes in Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, we're gonna, you're going to see this. I mean, he makes it as clear as he can be. The, the Messiah is coming. And this is written circa 700 years before Jesus is born. And, uh, but even then, you can still see what's going on here. Let me tell you what's going on with Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. He's talking to this people, children of Israel, um, at a time when they are in real um, political, uh, political upheaval. is just coming out their ears, figuratively and literally. They've been taken over by another country, Babylon. And in those days, when you came, a country took you over, you individually and as a country became a slave to that country. So things are pretty rough, and they're pretty much, they're really desperately in need of comfort. Uh, they need comfort badly, uh, because they got, they got stuff going on, they don't know what's going to happen, they, they're, they're, they're fearful of another group coming in individually or as a country to, to wipe them out as well, terrorists we would call it today. Um, they're willing to sacrifice some personal freedoms uh, in order to, to they, they need some comfort and some safety, one of the things we're seeing today and. Gosh, it's amazing. I, I, I watch this on the news, and it's amazing how things haven't changed in, in, in so many hundreds and hundreds of years. People willing, some of you, willing to, uh, all of us actually probably, willing to go through whatever uh, to fly, whether it be the, 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 the infamous pat-down now or the radiation giving off device that's going to kill you next week, or depending on who you read. Um, because you hear this, whatever it takes to feel safe. And I think most of us probably say, yeah, whatever it takes to, 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 to feel some safety here. No different here. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, you know, the stuff to walk through. They probably had the pat-downs, but that's probably in a different, different context. But um, uh, same thing here. They're looking for some comfort. Isaiah comes along and says, I don't have it now, but comfort is coming in the person of the Messiah. Just hang on. Now, granted, it would be 700 years uh, but, uh, before that happened, but they understood that. They understood that it may not happen right then. So I want to take you there right now, to, back to Isaiah chapter 40. And, and his, he's addressing this, 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 this dark, stressed out, worried, uh, desperately in need of comfort world that he's addressing. And just, just kind of follow along with me, and you'll see it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the sins the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. They've been pardoned. Verse 3, listen, listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a, high, make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. He said, make way for the Messiah to come. You know, he's, he's using this language to say, the Messiah's coming, get ready for it. Prepare everything. For, the Messiah's coming, get ready. And really, the, the, the lesson, the message there is, prepare your hearts to accept the Messiah when he comes. Or at least, in their case, the faith of knowing that he will come, even though it won't be in their lifetime. So, go to verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? He said, shout that the people are like the grass. 
Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. You say, wait, 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 read that again. Shout that the people are like the grass, their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. Say, gosh, is that true? I would ask you that. What do you think? Looked in the mirror lately? Um, I'm telling you, and some of you are young and you're under 30 and you have no clue what I'm talking about. Just wait, okay? Um, I was talking with uh, interjection. Um, I'm talking with two couples. One, I'm, I'm going to be helping with the ceremony um, next year. And the other, I had the privilege of helping in their ceremony several years ago. They're even close in age, but this was like just a few weeks ago. And uh, one of them, the one that's been married for five or six years, just had a baby. Literally, this was actually the, the mom's first outing out after the baby was born. And um, the other are getting married next week. And so the, the, the one that are getting married, you know, they're all just beautiful looking and all the other thing. And, and, and I was talking about, hey, guys, you know, you guys are both beautiful people and all that other stuff. But, you know, it doesn't last forever. And the young mom was like, you got that right. You know, <laughs> she was living it, you know. And it's like, yeah, we, we all, we, whether it's that or whether it's just age and wrinkles and all that stuff. It doesn't last forever, you know? And that's all. He, he's drawing that comparison in Isaiah to say, look, here's the deal. The grass withers, the flowers fade. You know, here's the thing. Beauty doesn't last, one thing does. And, here, and here's what he's going to say. Watch this, verse 7. The grass withers, the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Here it is. But the word of our God stands forever. He's saying there's one thing that is forever. It's not looks. No, it's not income. It's, not, it, 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 it's God and his words. And he's making that point to say, and he's saying that the Messiah is coming. So bank on it. It may not be in your lifetime. Of course, it's not going to be in their lifetime. They didn't know that for sure. We know that as we look back on it. It's not going to be in your lifetime, but he is coming. You can bank on it because God said it. And that's the point that he's trying to contrast between that and, you know, good looks and flowers and grass and all the other kind of stuff. Now watch what happens. Verse, verse 9. O Zion, messenger of good news, speaking of Jerusalem, shout from the mountaintop, shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. He's on his way. Jesus is coming, basically. Now watch what happens in verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. He's coming. The Lord's coming. And he talks about all that. The Lord is coming in power. What does that mean? One, one scholar put it this way. He's, he's, he's coming with enough strength they can break through all the difficulties of life. That's a great application. The Messiah, Jesus, is coming, and he's going to have the ability to break through all the difficulties of life that we all deal with. It's amazing. One of the guys I always read, don't often quote, because often he's verbose. It was written in 1700, circa 1700, uh, Matthew Henry Commentary. Um, Commentary is so old, I think it's public domain now. I think mean, you can get it free and mostly, and mostly any, any internet site um, that has those sort of things. Um, but here's what he says, and I just thought I, I wanted to quote him on this. He will gather them in when they wander. Speaking of the people, speaking of us, really. He will gather them in when they wander, gather them up when they fall, gather them together when they are dispersed, and gather them home to himself at last. 
and all this with his own arm, out of which none shall be able to pluck them. Nobody's going to be able to take God's people away from him. And then he, 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 says, he puts this in. When they tire or when they're weary or sick or faint, when they meet with foul ways, he will carry them on and take care that they are not left behind. That's who the Messiah is. He's there. When I stray, he's going to bring me back. When I fall, he's going to pick me up. That's who the Messiah is. I need to hear that message of comfort. They needed to hear that message of comfort. God knows we do too. And we have throughout generations. So, so here's what you've got to picture in your mind. Here are, you know, Moshe and Isaiah here sitting here, and, and these two Jewish guys, 700 years before Christ is born, and they're talking to each other, and they, they're reading this, or listening to this in this case, listening to Isaiah say this, and they're sitting here thinking, if not saying, you mean to tell me that there's going to be a Messiah come who's going to show us grace? We don't even know that concept. He's going to give us forgiveness. And the only thing we know about forgiveness is that it's conditional. And he's going to care about us. A God who's going to care about us. Isaiah, what in the heck are you drinking, dude? How can that be? I mean, this is such a foreign concept to them. That this stuff can really happen. That you can have a a Messiah, a, a God, Jesus, who's going to show him grace Forgiveness and care. So let me show you three things real quick. I already kind of tipped you off to what they are. What is the comfort here? Kind of a threefold thing. Um, Three-headed headed areas of comfort. The first one is this. There is comfort in understanding grace. Let me show you a New Testament verse just to get that in your mind a little bit. Acts 20, verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. There is this message of grace that's of great comfort. Let me tell you something from a person who's been around a few years. It takes a while for people to understand the message of grace. I've been taught the message of grace since I was, old, since I was two weeks old. My mom first took me to church. My mom didn't believe in nurseries. You believe that? She said, you got to sit there. And I'm like, okay. And uh, probably why I'm so smart about so many things, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, it has taken me forever to understand grace because here's where you go, and I've been on both sides of this. You go, you go to two extremes or some, you've got two polar opposites, and you kind of drift one way or the other. And I've drifted. You've got the one side, and, and, and that is the person who, who really never does anything, quote, unquote, bad. Now, just work with me here for a moment, all right? Obviously, you say, well, everybody does something bad. No, I mean, you know, the, the goody-goody type of person. We have a few of them around here, all right? Um, and, and God bless them. They're here and so forth. And, they, and, and sometimes those folks, I'm not saying the folks here, but sometimes those folks have a real hard time with those of us who aren't necessarily goody-goody. And they become a little self-righteous. You know, I, I don't do what that guy does or that, you know, I'm, I'm much better... And the truth is, they're just as bad as all the rest of us. Because God's not just looking at my, what might be pretty ideal behavior, but he's looking at the heart. And their heart's just as bad as their mine and yours. They, 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 they're, they're sinful people, just like all the rest of us. And some of those folks know that. They come to, but it's hard for that to understand why the need for grace. And sometimes my biggest job as a, as a minister is, is to get people to say, 
you know, you, you really aren't that good. You really do have some things that you think about that, that you, that's really not that good. Oh, really? And you kind of have to help prompt them. Oh, yeah, I'm not so great, am I? No, not when you put, make the comparison, not to me, but to God. Now, the other spectrum is the person who knows they're just a rotten, no good piece of garbage sinner. They just know that. And they, like, they think like, they got to work for it. I got to do this. I got to make sure I'm in church. And I want you to be in church, but that's not going to make you more acceptable to God. And they think, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this. And they think they got to earn that whole approval thing of God. And there's nothing you can do. There's not enough you can do to get there. Grace says God, through Christ, comes along and accepts me right where I am. As my professor used to say 30-plus years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I can't remember last week, but I remember this 30-plus years ago. With a wart on our nose and all. Apologies to those of you with a wart on your nose. But we all have them, figuratively or literally. God, and That's grace. And sometimes it takes a while to understand that. Do you deserve God's grace? No. Do I? No. Heavens, no. So there is, there is a comfort in understanding grace, and sometimes it takes a lot to understand that. But right along with that, it just moves right into the second area of comfort, which is, which is forgiveness. Because an outgrowth of that grace is the forgiveness that, that the Lord provides for us. Let me show you again, New Testament verses, a couple of them. Colossians chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It's not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Some of my friends in the program, in the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous program, have told me, and I haven't been to a meeting. I've been a few times I probably should go, but I haven't been to a meeting. But I'm told that, that they open up, if you're going to talk with the thing of, my name is so-and-so, I am an alcoholic. And some of my friends have said to me, you would not believe the amount of work it, took, it takes sometimes to get people there, just to say that. My name is such and such, I'm an alcoholic. And, I, and I, I have had limited experience with that, and I understand sometimes it's very hard to get someone to admit that. I have the same thing as a pastor to get people to say, here's what you need to hear. This is true for all of us. We probably need to do this. We, pro- we, need, we need to make a ritual here at Renaissance Church. We all stand up before every service and say, my name is Rich, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Period. I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's the truth for all of us. And, uh, and, and, and so when we understand that, we understand why the M- Messiah, why Jesus had to come. Because I need forgiveness. And here's the thing about forgiveness that I want you to see, and that is this. Jesus came and he lived, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. And, and, and we read those verses in Colossians. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, what he, he figuratively speaking, all the sins that rich teachers would ever commit, and believe me, we, we don't need to go there. Okay, that's, and I don't know how Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I think I'm the chief. If he's the chief, I'm the first lieutenant. But uh, all my sins, all your sins, ever, ever committed, were nailed on the cross with Jesus. And here's what happens when you, when you receive that forgiveness. It's provided, it's, it's for anybody that wants it. Here's how that works. You just say, Lord... I want, to, I'll accept that. I want to accept your sacrifice for my sins right now. I want to accept your forgiveness. I've never really done that. I've thought about it. And I, 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 see, how do I do that? Right where you're saying, say, Lord, you don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to jump up and down. Don't have to do anything. 
just in your heart. You say, you know, Lord, I don't have ever done this or not, but I want to I accept what you have done for me right here and right now, right here in Renaissance Church. Can you do that? doesn't have to be at a Billy Graham crusade or anything. Those are great, but you can do that. There we are. Sometimes some of us who've been uh, followers of Christ for a long time may not do that, but there's, there's rarely a day that goes by that I don't stop and just reflect, oh, Lord, I'm so grateful that you came to forgive my sins because I need it so badly. And that's being a person of faith. So, so there you go. I mean, that's, that's what we're thinking about when we talk about this, this whole thing when we talk about comfort. There's comfort in grace. There's comfort in, 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 in forgiveness and coming to that place. Great time to do it. I tell you, the people who are followers of Christ, and that's a lot of you, not, not all of you, some of you aren't, and say you're not, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. We really are. But those of us who are followers of Christ, we just went through we're on Thanksgiving weekend. We, I got to tell you, we got to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth because we know why Jesus came for my, forgive my sins. And I, every day is Thanksgiving <laughs> when you think about it like that. Third thing, there is comfort in grace. There is comfort in forgiveness. And the third thing is this, this, this new concept to you, possibly. There's comfort in realizing that Jesus cares. You say, yeah, you know, I'm not looking for you to put a bumper sticker in your car that says Jesus cares or anything. That's fine if you do. But um, let me show you First Peter chapter 5. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Other, other translations put it this way. I use this a lot when I talk to people. Give all your, give all, uh, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And some people get into this thing, well, does, does God want us to be happy? Does he? I don't know what happy means. I know he cares. This time of the year, we always get into this thing, not just this time of the year if you live around here, but especially, well, I went to the mall and it was just crazy and I couldn't find a parking place and I prayed God would give me a parking place and he gave me a great parking place. Now, was that God? Was that Jesus? Because he cares for me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where that parking place came from. I really, I can't speak for God. And he hadn't talked to me lately about this. Um, Here's what I know. He cares. Now, whether that means he's going to provide you a parking place, I don't know how all that works. That's, That's one of those mysteries of God that I don't understand. But I know he cares. And the thing about, about the Lord caring, I mean, this is an important concept to me. One of the most embarrassing things in my life, and one of the hardest lessons I learned about perspective happened several years ago. I don't think I've told the story, but if I have, just remember, I'm over 60 now. I get permission to do that. A friend of mine and I, we used to, when I lived, I was a pastor of a church in Vail for 18 years. Some of you know that. And we would, in, in the wintertime, several times, several times during the winter, because, I mean, the snow flies like late August there. And so if you're a golfer like I am, and my friend and several of us, we'd head to, we'd head to Scottsdale three or four times a year during the, summer, or during the wintertime. And we played this one tournament in the fall, which was really the kickoff for ski season. We'd go play golf in Scottsdale. And um, we played this tour- three-day tournament, three-day tournament. And we, it was a t- heavy-duty tournament. I, I won't go into all details, but it was a big deal, uh, connected with Arizona State University. And we're coming down to three days. We're in the last hole with the two of us. All we got to do is win that hole. We win the whole thing, okay? And we're pretty pumped. And um, I'm on the green in two, which I know. Just don't get shocked. Um, uh, The guy I play with, he's like, what? When have you ever been on the green in two? Uh, 
All I got is two putt. I miss what is now a four-footer. I think really it was about a three-footer at the time. But I missed this four-footer for the win the whole stinking thing. And like, I'm like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just, I hate myself. I'm hating myself, you know? And I've got to go back. I got to go, we got to, we got to hustle, catch the last flight out of, out of Phoenix because I got to get back for church next morning, late Saturday, late Saturday night. And uh, I'm at church and everything. I'm, but I'm, I'm just in a, just in a fog. I missed this putt, man. I could have, we could have won the whole thing. I missed this, this, this three foot putt or was it two feet? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, I got to go to a conference in Buena Vista, Colorado. And uh, we have breakouts that evening. So it's Sunday night now, 24 hours after the crime. And I'm still just dying, just dying this whole thing. I've been through church. I've prayed. I've been to the Bible. I'm still dying about this. But, and they say, what's been going on in your life? We all start sharing a little thing, you know. And I'm like, oh, you guys won't believe what happened to me yesterday. Man, I'm ready to win this great big tournament in, in Arizona State. And my friend and I are there. And I, I missed it through, you know, maybe a foot and a half putt. I, I missed that thing, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm just dying. And I, I just can't believe it. I'm just so bummed. And they said, okay, how about the next person? Would you like to share? <laughs> and so the, the next person starts sharing. I swear to you, this is not, I don't make, I'm not making this up. She says, I just learned yesterday that I have terminal cancer and that my son just got sentenced to jail. What do you think I'm thinking? I want to be, be anywhere else in the world right at that. Here I am. I'm worried about my you know, two-foot putt. And here's a person dealing with the hard realities of life. I really, I mean, I did. I went and apologized later. I just felt so bad. I'm mean, just so stupid. I felt like the biggest self-centered SOB in the face of the earth. And that may be true, but still, you don't want to have to. One of the things I learned about that, and it took me a long time to figure it out. Do you know that Jesus really does care about my golf game? In, this, in a different way than he cares about this lady going, really undergoing some difficult stuff. He cares. And, he, and he, what he really cares about is how I respond and, and who I am. He said, that really is not a very good comparison, Rich. You know, it really is a good comparison. Because I want you to, get, I want you to grasp fully when the Bible tells us, casting all your cares upon him, it may be trivial to somebody else, but to you it's important. And, and, and Jesus knows that. Don't be ashamed of that. I mean, don't be as stupid as I am and go into a group of people and start sharing it. But, 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 but embrace that. Embrace that truth. Because it's true. So when we talk about, I mean, that's a comforting thing. The comfort of, of God and, and the comfort that he, that I understand grace and I can experience forgiveness and I can realize Jesus care for me. That's a phenomenal thing. That's the message of Christmas. Advent, Christmas, 24-7. One last thing, and I, I'm going to stop with this. When you get to that point, and you do understand grace and experience forgiveness and realize his care for you, sometimes God wants to use you in the lives of others. I want to read just two verses to you, and then we're going to close. Second Corinthians. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us, watch this, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them, watch, the same comfort that God has given us. God not only gives us this comfort, 
but he gives us this mandate. I'm going to comfort you, and now you have the opportunity to be, to be God to somebody else, in a sense, small g, to comfort them with the same comfort that I've received from Jesus. That's a great message. That's a great mandate and a great challenge. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are thankful for the love and for the grace, for the mercy that you have for us. We are thankful for the message of Advent, of the comfort that comes into our lives because of, because of Jesus. We thank you. Pray that we'd be sensitive to those times when we can, in turn, reflect some of the comfort we've received. Reflect that with others. And we thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. Pray for your blessing upon each person here, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.